so, uh, while my computer wakes up, do you know what? I should have learned from Ralph and printed out my talk. In fact, Ralph's talk from last week is still here. And it was a good one. So if anyone wants it or they missed out, are you not into podcasts? I'll pop it down here for someone to pick up uh, at a later point. There you go. Um, so as the big picture on the screen says, um, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and we have so far kind of been in a movement, movement one of three. It's like a symphony. It's the same piece of music, but every now and again, it takes a turn. Um, so we're in a new movement today. So, so far, we've been asking the question, how is our heart? So that's when we've been talking about all that stuff that's going on inside us. Jesus isn't just interested in the outside behaviors. He's interested in what's happening on the inside as well. And so we kind of turn a corner into um, chapter six today. Um, I'm a big stickler for not making too much out of chapter breaks and uh, headings in the Bible, but I think this is a really um, potent one. So we kind of turn this corner into chapter six and we're asking ourselves the question, what is driving us? What's driving us? What's our motivation? Why do we do the things that we do? Um, so... I'm going to um, read from my actual paper Bible. Um, just to say, I really like having a paper Bible. I like the convenience of having the Bible on my phone. But I really enjoy having a paper Bible because it helps me just figure out where stuff sits together and what's next to each other. And I don't think you get that from reading it on a phone. It's great as well. It's really convenient. You can take it with you everywhere. But paper Bibles are great. So we're in um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Um, I'm reading from the ESV. might be a little bit different to your version, but um, this is the one that I've got. So it says, given to the needy. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And just so you know, we've got 18 verses in this section, so it's going to be a little while, but we'll, it's worth it, trust me. Um, the Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. You probably know this next bit. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither Will your father forgive your trespasses? 
And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, so when it comes to this question of what's driving us, just so you know, today it's not up for debate about whether or not we should give to the needy, about whether or not we should pray, whether or not we should fast. Jesus just kind of assumes that you're going to do these things. It's all about your motivation. He says, when you pray, or when you give to the needy, or when you fast. He doesn't say, if it's comfortable, if it's convenient, if you feel like it, and give to the needy. He just assumes that you're going to do these things. You know, giving to the needy is not an optional extra for the follower of Jesus. And praying is not an optional extra for the follower of Jesus. And fasting is not an optional extra for the follower of Jesus. So I'm going to assume there's no argument today about the validity of those practices. And I'm going to assume you're, that you're in this room because you want to follow Jesus and you want to do the things that he calls you to. Um, so I'm not going to spend any time attempting to convince you that these are good things. I'm going to assume that you want to be generous, that you want to have a rich and fulfilling prayer life, and that you want to make fasting, however uncomfortable that might feel, uh, a part of your activity and part of your routine. I'm more concerned today about applying this question of what is driving us? What's our motivation? And, you know, I just don't think you need another talk about why prayer is a good idea or why giving to the needy is something that you should do. Um, we're here to talk about our motivation, and I want to put some practical things in your hands that will help you in all of these areas. And in this passage, Jesus offers us a stark contrast between two different rewards. There's the reward of appearing righteous, of looking good in front of other people, of impressing the crowds, or there's the reward that the Father offers. You know, he starts this off in verse 1, and I think this sets everything up that follows. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So I guess the motivation of what's driving us could be appearing righteous, looking good, impressing people with our religiosity. You know, it says in verse 2, we can choose to be honoured by others. In verse 5, be seen by others. In verse 16, to show others that we're fasting, to really impress them. And you know, we live in a time where it's quite easy to project our entire stream of consciousness and every activity that we do to the rest of the world. Um, maybe the modern day equivalent of those hypocrites standing on the street corner with their trumpets is social media. And, or at least it's one way that it shows up. It's a very accessible way of doing it, isn't it? And it's tempting to express ourselves to the world and receive a reward with every like, share, and subscribe. And, and get that little dopamine hit. That, um, that, you know, actually, 
begins to rewire our brain and begin to train us to crave that even more. But that's probably a conversation for another day. I'm not actually a neuroscientist um, or a psychiatrist, so I'm a little bit underqualified to talk about how dopamine affects your brain. But I'm also aware of the irony of me stood here talking to you about some of the things that I do in my own secret time with the Lord. Like, and I'm aware that this is a bit of a tightrope to walk. Like, I desperately don't want to impress you, even though there's a little bit of me that would like to impress you. I do get a bit of a kick out of being the smartest person in the room. My colleagues will be pleased to know, um, we were on the student weekend away, my colleagues will be pleased to know that I have broken my run of winning every quiz that I've been a part of. I was on one of the losing teams. So... Um, that, that will come as a relief to some of the people that I work with. Do you remember that phase of like Zoom quizzes in sort of spring 2020 that all you did was Zoom quizzes? I became very unpopular for a little while. Anyway, um, I just want to give you what I've got and some of the stuff that I've learned in the hope that you find it helpful. So that's why I'm here. So think I'm impressive or not, I don't care. I just want to give you something that's useful and tell you that instead of the reward of looking and seeming impressive. There is a reward that the Father offers that's worth so much more. So the flip side of what could be driving us is the Father's reward. You know, and as we're beginning to understand as we go through this Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus is far more interested in what's happening on the inside of us than what happens on the outside of us. You know, three times in verses 4, 6, and 18, Jesus says the same thing. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And we're like, yes, but what is it? Jesus doesn't actually tell us, does he? He doesn't give us a neat and tidy formula for what the Father's reward is. You know, it'd be nice if there was some sort of chart or table. You know, like in the back of a, another great reason to have a paper Bible is if whoever's preaching is a bit boring, you can look at the maps and then you look up the table of weights and measures, right? And you can figure out how much a bushel weighs, I think. Or, um, or how long a cubit is. And it'd be good if it was like, well, one hour in prayer, 25 pounds for rewards. Two-day fast, that's a promotion at work. You know, like it'd be good if there was some sort of chart we could, we could like rationalize all this. But like most of the promises Jesus makes, the answer's a little bit more vague. It's a little bit more open-ended. And it probably takes a little bit longer to happen. You know, in the kingdom, things tend to happen over time, not overnight. And it might not be that easy to categorize or put in a box. It might not be the immediate payoff of someone else's attention. It might not be all those likes, shares, and subscribes. But so often, as it is with God, what we might want and get a kick out of in the short term, doesn't even do justice to what the Lord offers us. You know, and as we know from other 
Jesus of the teachings. Like money is not the indicator of God's reward. It's not a fact or proof that you've done a good job. The things that Jesus seems to value above all else are things like other people. And they're things like wholeness and peace and healing and comfort and the ability to endure. You know, it makes me wonder if the reward that the Father would give us is something that isn't entirely obvious at first. You know, as we read through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, because remember, this is one continuous message. Oh, a bit of paper dropped out. I want to hold on to that. I will talk about that bit of paper later. It's important, trust me. Um, as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, we forget there's stuff in here about not being anxious. And there's stuff in here about not experiencing hatred or not feeling the need to get all of our sexual desires like met just in the way that we want. And there's all this stuff about being able to tell the truth and, 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 and making our words just mean what they say. Not needing to get revenge. Maybe the reward that Jesus offers us is some of our inside being transformed to live the kind of life that he offers. This rain's really loud, isn't it? You know, Jesus isn't looking for every... Um, Jesus isn't looking for people who are just going to keep all the rules. He isn't looking for people who see their Christianity as a performance to the rest of the world. He's after people whose hearts are turned to him when there's no one else watching, when there's no one to impress. And who are you when no one else is watching? When there's no applause, when there's no recognition, when there's no one to make sure that you're sticking to the rules, when there's no one to look over your shoulder, at what you're giving your attention and your affection to. And Jesus is after people who are going to order their lives to put loving Jesus and loving other people at the center. Because there are these two parts to that greatest commandment that Jesus gave us. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving people and how we order our lives and prioritize to do these things. And giving and praying and fasting are three of the practices that we put in place to prioritize those things. To say, these are things that are important to me because I care about the kind of person that I'm going to be. Especially when no one else is watching. You know, just to focus on one aspect of this stuff before we move on. I want to talk a little bit about prayer and share some of my story. Now, I grew up going to church. Um, always knew that having a quiet time was a really important thing, and I should do it. But to be honest, I found it boring. I didn't really know what I was doing, which kind of feels a little bit false um, when you're sort of a professional Christian and paid to go to church and all of that. But I knew that there was more. I knew that I could be satisfied in prayer, but I wasn't satisfied in prayer. And I was, it's kind of about 
2018, I started listening to a guy called Brian Zahn. He's a pastor and a, an author. Lives in a boring little place called St. Joseph, Missouri in the USA. And I just listened to some of his sermons and heard him talk about prayer in a way that made me excited. It pulled on some of the things that the Lord was beginning to stir in me. He talked about holding on to some of the ancient practices of prayer, of contemplation and sitting with Jesus. And the way that he talked about prayer made me think, man, this richness here that I want to get a hold of. And he talked about how he does these prayer schools. Over a weekend, people come and he teaches them a liturgy for morning prayer. Um, Liturgy kind of feels like a bit of a dirty word in the charismatic church, doesn't it? But I have to say, there's no such thing as good or bad liturgy. There's no such thing as dead or alive liturgy. It's all about the person who's going to say it and how they're going to choose to engage with it. So I am all for liturgy. Um, And so he talked about this stuff, and I thought, man, if he ever does a prayer school in the UK, I will go. So then I found out there's one in Southampton, of all places, in autumn 2018. So I, um, I decided that I was going to go. Um, it was going to cost me some money. It was going to cost our family some time together because it was at the weekend. So, you know, we had to, Em and I had to have a chat about it and figure out how it was going to work. Um, but I went down and I just got so much out of it. And it was a beautiful time. And since November 2018, every morning... I would say without fail, but with plenty of failures. Um, I've learned a different way to pray. And this is what I got, this piece of paper. Um, the reason it's dog-eared is because I reference it almost every day. Um, and it's probably, aside from my marriage certificate, one of the most important pieces of paper in my life. Um, it's a structure for prayer. It's a pattern of morning prayer that includes scripture and set prayers. There's like the Lord's Prayer. There's confession. There's time to draw close to Jesus and be still with him. And it's this beautiful combination for me of structure and freedom. Um, the structure provides a platform, but it still allows me the space and the time to express myself to Jesus. I like to picture it. Some of this stuff is like a trellis. Like the trellis is structured and rigid, but it allows growth. It allows life and freedom to grow on it. You know, and sometimes it's hard to stay consistent, like a global pandemic. Um, And various changes um, to my rhythm and routine over the last couple of years have meant that it's hard to be consistent But on the whole, my prayer life is consistent and it's exciting and I look forward to it. Um, You know, I can't say that every day I feel myself changed or that I'm always raptured into heavenly visions. I don't always hear angels sing. Um, But little by little, day by day, I know that I've been transformed. And there's been plenty of days, I don't know about you, when I haven't known what to pray. I've not known what to say to the Lord. But I can still say my prayers. Because they're here. Because there's life in them. And I can lean on the wisdom of the church through the ages. And I can lean on the wisdom of scripture. 
And I don't have to conjure it all up from within myself. I don't have to feel like saying something to Jesus. I can jump on the tracks and let it take me away. And I have found that when I start my day with prayer, other disciplines are a little bit easier as well. You know, discipline in one area leads, lends itself to discipline in others. You know, whether it's like better eating habits or it's um, greater, greater capacity to, to read or even to work rather than just want to watch TV. Um, you know, more determination to go to the gym and work out. Like I found that putting prayer first has actually really helped me in all these other spaces as well. But above all else, I felt a deeper sense of steadiness in who I am. A more sure foundation in Jesus. You know, and it's something like that's actually really difficult to put into words. Sometimes we have these encounters or experiences with God, and I wouldn't say it's like a one-off thing, but sometimes quite hard to put in words. And so it's only by looking back at my life over the last couple of years that I can see that I'm different. It was probably about six months after I took this changing routine up. People began to say to me, like, John, there's something different about you. And obviously I didn't like, I told a few friends that this is where I went and this is what I'd got. But um, I didn't like go broadcasting that Hey everyone, just so you know, I've got a fantastic morning liturgy for prayer. Aren't I wonderful? Because that would be in direct contradiction to everything that Jesus just says. But people began to tell me that I was different. And they, even they couldn't quite explain it. But I knew that there was something about my life that felt more rooted in Jesus. That when some of the storms came, rather than leaking and dripping into buckets... Over the last couple of years, I feel like my life has stayed steady. Not because I'm unmoved, not because I'm dispassionate. But I feel like through the storms, my life has stayed steady because I've got to know Jesus and spent time with him. So for me, that's been the reward that the Father's given me. A deeper sense of who I am. A more peaceful heart. A steadier life. That when the storms have come, I know he's with me. And I want to get practical about some of this stuff as well. I'm aware that in this passage, we've prayed the Lord's Prayer together. Or at least I have. Maybe you said it very quietly along with me. Um, and there's these two killer verses Verses 14 and 15, about forgiving others. And if we want the Lord to forgive us, we better crack on and forgive other people too. Um, I just want to acknowledge that those are in there. We have not got time to do those things justice. Um, so I want to jump on to putting some of this into practice. We will talk about forgiveness. But I want to make more time than we have right now to talk about it. But let's jump in to putting this stuff into practice. So I have got three principles that I think work pretty well across these three areas. 
It's not a biblical model. It's just the wisdom that I have accumulated in my 37, nearly 38 years um, on this earth. And what's worked for me and what has been helpful. So I think we can apply these three things to all of these areas of giving, to the needy, of prayer, and of fasting. So the first is to make a plan. The second, ironically, is to put first things first. And the third thing is to make some space. So what does that actually mean? So when it comes to giving to the needy, if you don't have a plan as to how you spend your money, then uh, frankly, I'm a bit terrified for you. Um, but making a plan is really important, no matter what your income is. Like, and how are you going to steward your money well? How are you going to steward your money well if you don't know what you're spending, what's coming in and what's going out? So write a budget, look at your bank account and get some help if you need to. Um, and then plan what you're going to give away. Plan what you're going to give to the needy. Make it part of your monthly rhythm of giving. And I'm not talking about giving to the church. That's really important as well. But Jesus isn't talking about giving to the church here. I mean, there is an element by which the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon to the people of Jesus. And so it's about the needy among them. And, you know, how is someone going to, as part of that community, be able to turn the other cheek and be able to not sue someone, even though they could, if the rest of the community are not looking out for them. But there are some brilliant places you can give your money to give to the needy. Um, I'd recommend giving money to people like Barnabas, who work in Manchester with those in need. Or if you want to give overseas, recommend giving to the mission or to compassion. But make that part of your plan. And then first things first, well, for me, what I find really helpful for us in our finances to make sure we actually do it is to do it as soon as we get paid. I know that works really well if you get paid a monthly salary. If your income is variable, then you're going to have to think about this differently. But set up a standing order or a direct debit the first day of the month or as soon as you get paid. Also, this is another bonus way of doing it in secret. Not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing, as Jesus says. Um, because you don't even have to physically do it. It just happens out there somewhere. I still don't quite understand how money works these days, just for the record. It's all just numbers on a computer somewhere, isn't it? And it breaks my head a bit if I think about it too much. Anyway, um, and then make some space. In your budget, as well as planning what you're going to give, leave a little room for spontaneity of when you meet someone maybe on the street that needs something, or when a need pops up in our community, or where there is an opportunity to give to a particular appeal. Um, like, look at the weather right now. It's a miserable time. It's always a miserable time to not have a home. But right now is a particularly miserable time to not have a home. When these needs pop up, it means we've got space to respond. And then with prayer, make a plan. Having a plan of how you're going to pray means that even when you don't know what to pray, you can at least say your prayers. You know, the church has a long tradition of saying 
set prayers at particular times of the day. Um, in fact, the earliest Christian writings, um, it's called early, earliest Christian writing called the Didache, it's probably even older than parts of the New Testament, says if you're a Christian, you need to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day, morning, noon, and night. Like I love like the, the, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is a prayer that Christians have been praying for two millennia, multiple times a day. Um, and, you know, in Acts 2.48, when it, when it talks about the church um, committing to um, all these disciplines, rather than, you know, they committed themselves. It doesn't just say they committed themselves to prayer. It says they committed themselves to the prayers. Like, they actually had form um, to the way that they prayed. And what does a plan look like? I mean, I'm not just going to give you a photocopy of what I do, because that's a conversation we need to have around the dinner table. Um, or over coffee, which I'm very up for, but we don't have time right now. Um, but a simple pattern of prayer could look like reading a psalm, reading a short passage from the gospel, saying the Lord's Prayer and sitting in silence with Jesus for just a few minutes. And then off the back of that time, praying for the things that are on your heart, praying some prayers of intercession. Or another option could be to use something like the Lexio 365 app. Um, that's a brilliant resource from 24-7 Prayer that will give you a structure and a pattern to pray to. So you don't have to think of everything yourself and it changes it up day by day. But, you know, don't limit yourself just to morning prayer. One of the things that I do, I have an alarm set on my phone every day for midday. Just prompts me to pray the Lord's Prayer wherever I am, like out in the wild. Maybe it's in the office, maybe it's in the supermarket, maybe it's up a hillside somewhere if it's a particularly good day. Just pray the Lord's Prayer wherever I am at midday and think, what does heaven on earth look like right now? But make a plan and put first things first. Your mornings really matter, they're really important and they set the pattern for your day. It doesn't necessarily have to be first thing in the morning, uh, maybe you're like me, you want to get up and make a coffee. And that can be part of your time with Jesus together. Um, and Jesus, you know, he says, go into the room, close the door, find a quiet place. And in your house, you may not have a particular room that you can just assign to prayer. Um, you know, we've got two kids. And over the years, it's been, I've had to move around the house in different places. There was a phase where Asaph used to get up really, really early. Um, so I used to always just go and sit in his room and pray in there instead. Um, don't, I usually do get the lounge to myself um, at the first part of the day these days, which is excellent. Um, but I do genuinely find if I don't put prayer first, my morning drifts and I say, oh, I'll do it later. But usually, actually, don't get around to it. And make some space. When it comes to prayer, as well as having structure, leave some room. This is really important. Um, like I said, the structured, the liturgical parts of my prayer life, I see those as like a trellis to allow some space and life to grow. Um, so for me, that looks like sitting in silence. It's like saying Jesus' name quietly. And sometimes it looks like something, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I feel like to recognize that Jesus is with me, I just need to like kneel down or bow down or lie on the floor. Or other times, just being quiet is enough. 
And then when it comes to fasting, make a plan. Choose when you're going to fast, whether that's little and often or something a little bit more structured and more extended. And make it a priority. Put it first. And give yourself some space. Allow yourself to be led by Jesus in the places he's asking you to fast and to press in. You know, it's really important with all these things to start where we are. To start slowly and to build ourselves up. You know, when it comes to giving, it would be ridiculous to think, right, well, next month I'm going to give 75% of my money away. Like, that's a crazy idea if that's not what you're doing already and you're spending most of it. Work your way up. If prayer doesn't feature in your life right now in your morning routine, maybe don't plan to get up at 5 a.m. tomorrow to spend five hours with Jesus before you get on with the rest of your day. Start small. Start somewhere, but do start. Maybe don't start on a 40-day fast tomorrow. If that's not what the Lord's asked you to do, just because you feel like you want to start somewhere. I've got a little practice for us to put into place this week, if that's all right, and we'll get our kids in just a second. But I, I want to challenge us in all of these three areas. Now, I lifted this from a book called Prayer by Justin McRoberts and Scott Erickson. Um, and by the way, Scott Erickson wrote the best Advent devotional book ever read next year. Buy yourself a copy of Honest Advent sometime in November. Read it in the route to Christmas. It is beautiful. Um, but I lifted this from a different book. Um, so I want you to do these three things. You can take a picture of this in a minute. But choose something that you regularly consume and give it up this week. It could be a coffee. It could be a lunch. It could be a cinema ticket. When you've decided what that thing is, spend that time in prayer and reflection instead. And then the third point of this is to give the money that you would have spent on that thing to others. Specifically those in need to provide for others. Maybe that looks like going to Barnabas's website and donating five pounds. Or maybe it looks like buying that coffee that you would have drunk yourself and given it to the person that's sat outside in the rain instead. If they would like a coffee, do check with them first. But these three things. If you don't have to go and get your kids right now, why don't you turn to the person next to you, tell them what you are going to give up this week, and then if you don't have their phone number, make sure you exchange it, and then you can text them later on this week and find out how they've done. Does that sound all right? So, why don't we all stand up for just a moment. I'm going to pray for you. Parents and carers who need to go and get their kids can go and do that. Then everyone else is going to tell the person next to them what they're going to do. So, Jesus, we want to be people who put these things into practice. We want to be people who give away what we have to those in need. We want to be people who meet you in prayer. We want to be people who choose to give up something and focus on you and others instead. 
So Jesus, would you help us get practical about these things? Would you help us seek the reward that you offer? Would you help us put down any notion of wanting to be impressive? Jesus, you're the one that we want. You're the one that we're after. So would you come by your Holy Spirit and make this real to us? Amen. Oh, that dripped right on my face just as I said amen. It hasn't dripped here at all right now. Well, there you go. That's why I looked so surprised right then. Thank you so much for joining us today. You can sit down or chat or whatever you want to do right now. Thanks for watching online if you've been watching. We'll see you next week for Super Sunday. It's going to be a little bit different. The weather's going to be better for a start. See you guys soon.